welcome if you're just joining us. Glad to have you. Um, if you're new to Antioch West, it's great having you this morning. We do things a little differently. Um, we do small group Sundays, which means basically this morning uh, for a few moments, I'm going to share what, what God's putting on our my heart. And then afterwards, all over the area and even here online, there are going to be groups of people meeting as a part of the body of Christ, meeting in homes, meeting online, meeting in other different venues, and they're going to come together and share with one another, pray with one another, encourage one another, challenge one another, um, and it's an exciting thing to be a part of. It's exciting to be a part of the body of Christ that is endeavoring to move the kingdom forward, and I believe that's what we are we, we, we are engaging in our faith, not just trying to make it to heaven, not just trying to get our problems solved, but we want to be a part of the kingdom of God uh, that is being made manifest on this earth today. Praise God. So let's get into it this morning um, because I, I, I'm ex- I, as you've, I said earlier, if you just joined us, you missed it. If you noticed today, I'm a little fired up. And usually if I get fired up, I talk faster. So I'm trying to slow my speech down because if I talk faster, I have a tendency to not finish my words and my sentences. People tell me all the time, you, you don't finish your words, your sentences. You got to make sure you finish out. And that happens sometimes when I get excited. So I got to find, find, that, find that rhythm. No, I'm just joking. But if you notice today, and that is because what I believe God has put in me, I just, I'm excited about it today. And that's... I, I know if you know me, I'm, I can be emotional. I'm an excited fella. Uh, I'm, I'm not a quiet kind of guy. But uh, I, I am excited today because I, am, I feel something in my heart and my spirit for this body and for those of you that are watching. And if you would just, just, I know it's summer. I get it. I get it. I get it. I know summertime. It's just, oh, so much stuff. No, just block all that out. And focus what God is speaking today. And I believe if you do that, you're going to feel. And let me use another word. I don't, it's not just excitement. Excitement's an emotion. I feel faith. That's, that's a more spiritual and scriptural word. I feel faith today. I feel faith in my heart, my spirit. And I want that faith to be transferred to you that when you get off here today and you go to your small group, that we will be filled with faith. And that's the thing that I want to transfer through the help of the Holy Ghost today is that would be faith transferred into you uh, somehow, some way. Not because of Joel Wright, please, Lord Jesus. I got nothing to give to you today of my own. But what I believe the Spirit of the Lord has put in me and in some way through the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that can be transferred to those of you that are watching with an open heart and an open mind and an open spirit that are hungry for God, hungry for his, his fellowship, hungry for a relationship with him, hungry to see him, him manifested. Uh, that's who I believe today. Those of you that are listening, you, if, you would, if you would listen with those ears, I'm believing in Jesus' name there's going to be a transferring of faith. That's going to take place today. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here um, out of Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to be reading out of the MEV. I've said that several times now. That's the modern English version. Uh, if you don't know what that is, that is the, uh, some, most of you are familiar with, with, with the King James Version. So they had the King James Version, which was translated all the way back in the 1600s. It's got a lot of vowels and thuses and some old English wording in it that can get a little... I often kind of describe it as sort of trying to eat peanut butter. It just gets... It's, it's a lot to, 
process before you can swallow because of all the wording and the different English, old English terminology. So then they came out with the New King James Version, which kind of softened all of the old English. But then they came out with what's called the MEV, with a modern English version, which takes the King James translation and translates it into a very modern feel. And I, and I like the MEV a lot. For those of you that are studiers of the Word of God or, or familiar with translations, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, and you're kind of wondering what in the world is he talking about, the Bible is translated in many different forms and many different ways, and uh, this is just one of the translations. Um, and so I, I prefer this because I feel like sometimes the clarity of the message and our modern vernacular is better understood. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood had not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I will, and I tell you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples to tell no one what he, that he, Jesus, was the Christ. There is so much in this little conversation that we get privy to by Matthew to, we could unpack today. There are 50,000 different directions we can go because there's so much revelation and so many principles in this uh, in these few verses in Matthew chapter 16, but there's a couple points I want to I want to bring out to you that are foundational to to that transferring of faith that I believe God wants to do for us today, and that is number one. Jesus starts off asking the broad question, "Who do men say that I am?" But then after they gave his answer, they gave the answer of, of what some said that Jesus or who, who some said Jesus uh, was, he goes to the more pertinent and more, more, more applicable and more important question, and that is, who do you say that I am? This is monumental for you and I, because if we can't answer the question, who is Jesus to me? without getting into a bunch of religious rhetoric, without getting into some, some descriptive language that kind of, we, 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 it sounds beautiful, it sounds wonderful, but it has no meat to it, it has no base to it, it has no, it has no tangible, you know, just, just grit to it. Meaning, it, it, it sounds right, it, to the hearer it sounds, but there's something missing. And, and in, in, in some ways, you hear it later on, uh, it says having a form of godliness, but, does, but, but, but lacking the power behind it. If I ask you today, who is Jesus to you? A lot of you would give me some really good answers. You might give me answers out of the Bible. You may give me some descriptive answers. You may give me some beautiful, wonderful written answers that sound awesome, but who is Jesus to you? Not to your neighbor, not to your, not to, not to religion, not to your belief system. Who is Jesus to you? You see, if we can't answer this question, 
And this, the beauty about this question is it's unique to all of us. It, 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 it's, yes, there may be similarities in the answering because we all have uh, some similar experiences uh, along the journey. But the answer to who Jesus is to us as individuals should have a uniqueness to our story, my journey. Because everybody that is listening to me today or may listen in the future, every one of you has hurts. Every one of you has difficulties. Every one of you has things that are unique to you. Yes, we all have problems. We all go through things. But the way we weigh those things affect us, the way we deal with those things and the way they shape us has a uniqueness to all of it. I've noticed over the years that it's amazing to me that I can see two people go through the exact same thing. And one of them, it doesn't bother them. The other one, it crushes them. One of them, it pushes them towards God. One of them, it pushes away from God. Now we can look at that and we can judge, right? Because we can say, wow, you know, wow, look at that person. They're doing so well. And that person's going through the same thing and they can't even make it. But you see, that's looking at things in a vacuum. That's looking at things just in a simple black and white. And what, what have we talked about? What is the one thing over the last couple of months, especially Antioch West, we've talked about that convergence of grace and truth, right? That Jesus is the full measure of grace and truth. He's not half grace, half truth, 70, 30, 60, 40. He's not, oh, I'm grace today and no truth or truth today and no grace. He's all grace and all truth, meaning he's everything and all things at the same time. And when that's the case, that sounds a little, you say, well, that sounds, you, sounds confusing to me. How can he be all tr grace and all truth? That's the point. Because at the convergence of all grace and all truth, it's messy. It's messy. You see, when, when I start to look at things black and white, either grace or truth, and I see two people go through the same exact situation, maybe their home life has similarities. They came from broken homes, or, or maybe they're both going through divorces, or maybe they've both lost a loved one, or maybe they both go through the same similar financial situations, or, or things that, you know, it may not be exactly the same, but there's enough similarity we can draw some comparisons. And then we look at them and we go, wow, look how great they've done or look how poor they've done. That's a, that's, a, that's a grace or truth answer. Because that's looking at things as if we all should respond the same way going through the same things. And that's why I go back to the original question who is Jesus to you? Because there are some things I will go through in my life that will not have the same effect on me as they do you. But that doesn't make me somehow better than you. It doesn't make me more close, you know, somehow closer to Jesus than you. Those things have a different effect. You might go through them and struggle. I may go through them and succeed. But there's going to be some things you go through that you succeed. I go through and I struggle. That's the thing when I ask you, who is Jesus to you? I'm not just going to give you some, some spiritual or religious rhetoric. Well, he's the son of God. And all those things are true. But for me, the answer to who Jesus is, is unique 
to my personal life, to my hurts, to my pain, to my difficulty, to my strengths, and more importantly, to my weaknesses. Because my weaknesses are where he is strong. And my strengths are the things I've laid down at the altar. And he's taught me how to, 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 to put those strengths within the framework of his will. And he's given me those gifts and talents and abilities. But I have to surrender those to him. But in my weaknesses, he's shown that, I'm, that he is strong. But my weaknesses are unique to me. They may not be your weaknesses. But my weaknesses don't make me any worse than you and your strengths don't make you better because we're going to find other places. That's the beauty of the revelation of grace and truth converging in this beautiful mess. So who does Jesus, who is Jesus to you? Because you see, just look at the group there that day. Look at the group that is walking along. You've got, who is Jesus to you, Peter? Peter gives an answer and it sounds sort of, it sounds a little rhetorical because he gives this answer that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, 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 he, and it sounds almost a little flowery because, uh, you know, it sounds a little r- like rhetoric. But to Peter, it wasn't rhetoric because you got to understand when Peter said you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, he wasn't just giving a, 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 a 21st century explanation of who Jesus is. This is a guy who was a Jew. This was a guy who had grown up hearing the promises and hearing the rhetoric when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, reading through the passages of the Old Testament that speak of Christ coming, the promise of a Messiah. And he's declaring in that moment, that moment to Peter, he's declaring to you, I can't speak to anybody else, but to me, I'm declaring today that you are the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the anointed one. You are Christ, the son of the living God. That wasn't just some simple bumper sticker theology, put it on a t-shirt, put it on a chain, put it on a necklace, put it on your wall. No, that was revelation that Peter was expressing that day that he was saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are to me. I can't speak about Matthew. I can't speak about James and John and the other guys here. They've got their unique story. But to me, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. To Matthew, he might have been the forgiver because Matthew being a tax collector, someone who had been rejected, who had been broken, who had been cast out by society, who Jesus was to Matthew would have been a little different than who he was to Peter. So I ask again, going back to this, who is Jesus to you? We stumble over that answer. We're like, well, we, we, no, who is Jesus to me? There should be something that starts way down deep in here. That when somebody, not some church person, not somebody that knows all the language and verbiage and all our secret code, praise the Lord, God bless you, brother. But someone that doesn't know anything about God at all, ask you that question. Can you deliver an answer to them where it doesn't seem like you just fell off a spaceship? but you actually can give them an answer that is tangible to your life that says, listen, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. Not some rhetoric, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm see. Yes, is that true? Great. Is it Bible? Sure, yes. But that doesn't mean anything in the world we're living in. Let me tell you who Jesus is to me. I've been addicted. I've been broken. I have had 
I've dealt with depression. I've dealt with anxiety. I've dealt with fear. I've been sick. I've had cancer. I've lost my child. I've lost my husband. I've lost my wife. I came from a broken marriage. I came from a broken home. I came out of this. I came out of that. I was molested as a child. I was abused. I was misused. These things, this is, and I'm standing here today. I'm here today because those things that define me, those things that paralyze me, those things that hurt me, those things that shape me. When I found Jesus, when I found Jesus, I told you I'm going to get fired up today. I'm usually chiller than this. But when I found Jesus, he changed me. He healed me. He, he, he mended me. He put me back together again. He gave me hope when I was hopeless. He gave me faith when I was, when I was, when I was overwhelmed with doubt. He took my depression and gave me peace. The, this is what Jesus did to me. Not rhetoric. Not something out of the pages of religion. Not some kind of wording that comes from a church bulletin. But here is Jesus to me. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You see, I, I'm sorry today. I'm, I'm, I told you earlier, and I'm not going to apologize, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fired up today because this should excite us. You shouldn't say, who is Jesus to you? And you sit back with a yawn. Well, oh, I tell you who Jesus is. No, there should be something inside of you that gets excited when somebody or anybody or just in general, who is Jesus? Hey, stop the press. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you how he, he how I'm here today. Let me tell you what I've been through, but yet Jesus made a way. I was talking to Bishop Wright actually yesterday, and um, he was uh, he was in Massachusetts. And he was just, just uh, talking about uh, a situation where uh, in 2016, uh, Bishop Wright tore his Achilles tendon. And um, uh, it completely came, it, it completely separated. And he happened to be doing a meeting, a prayer conference uh, at the time that he tore this. And he couldn't go into immediate surgery. And um, the doctor said, listen... Um, if you don't get this done within the next couple of weeks, there's really nothing you can do about it because once these tendons sort of are separate for a while, there's really not much we can do to put them back together again. And so he said, you know, we can put you in a boot and immobilize it, but we're not sure what's going to happen. And if they don't attach, it's going to be messy because you can't reattach the tendon. We'll have to do a tendon We'll have to put some tendon in there, and I'm, some of you are more medically inclined to know all that and how they do all that. But anyways, Bishop Wright, because of the prayer conference, didn't feel directed to have surgery because that would have eliminated his participation. And so he, they put him in a walking boot to immobilize his, um, his, his, his leg. And if you remember, that was back in 2016. For those of you that participated, that was the time where Bishop had to sit in a chair with his leg propped up. Uh, he couldn't walk. Uh, and um, he was in the chair during the entire conference, even when he spoke. And uh, in that period of time, God began to heal and restore his Achilles. And it actually came back together again. And he was completely healed, verified by the doctor, completely healed. And now today he's uh, 70. 
77, 77 years old. Uh, and that was, so he was around 70 at the time. 77 years old, he has 100% uh, Achilles tendon. So he's telling the story in Massachusetts when he was done. This was two weeks ago. When he was done, a lady came up to him and said, can I share something with you? And he, she said, I just retired. I was an OR nurse. I was an OR uh, nurse. And um, one of the things that I was a part of in surgery was uh, Achilles tendon surgery. And she said, um, when, when it's pulls apart. I don't know if you've ever torn your Achilles. It sounds dreadful. If you think about reach down behind your ankle, feel that thick tendon. Can you imagine that thing pulling apart? Not to be graphic. They say sometimes if you pull it up, it's uh, pull it hard enough. It's like an a, 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 a accordion blinds. It just kind of snaps back up your leg. That sounds dreadful to be honest with you. But she says, I was a part, my job was when I, when we would do the surgery, we go in there and she said literally the two ends of the tendons when they had been separated for a while, it looked like spaghetti. And I had to cut those pieces off so we could put the, the, the transplant, the new tendon into that and, and attach it. She goes, you don't realize the miracle of those tendons being put back together again. What a miracle that was that God did that in your leg because she said, I've seen it from the medical side and it's just astounding that God did that because there's just no way for all those spaghetti tendons to be put back together and you got to cut them off. That's what God did. So if you ask Bishop Wright today, one of the answers he may give who Jesus is, he says he's a healer. Not because he's read it in some book, not because he read it on the pages uh, uh, of the Bible, but you know what? In, in 2016, I tore my Achilles. I couldn't get surgery. I had to be in a boot. But every day I declared that God was a healer. Every day I declared he, that he was going to heal me and restore my leg. And here I am today healed. That's who Jesus is to you. Every one of you has a story to tell. Every one of you has something unique to you about who Jesus is. But see, here's the point to all this. Peter gives this answer and Jesus comes back and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he gives a very, very famous passage of Scripture. And he says, And I tell you, Peter... And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That sounds awesome. It's one of the, the sort of the, the, the rallying cries, the mottos of the church today. Upon this rock, God's going to build his church. But there's some things in that verse that we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we're going to miss the wrong meaning to what's being said. I'm going, to get a, I'm going to get a little technical for a moment. I understand sometimes some of you kind of check out when I start getting a little technical, but it's important for you to know this. The word there translated church, upon this rock I will build my church, is the Greek word ecclesia. In a very simple way, the word ecclesia is a, an assembly or a gathering or a called out group. That's it. It was a term that was used in the secular world that Jesus brought into this context and used in this setting because they understood exactly what the word ecclesia meant. He was not creating a new word. He was creating a, 
He was using a word from their vernacular to describe what he wanted to do. Upon this rock, I will build my assembly, my gathering, my called out ones, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but I will tell you today, and you've heard, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I believe it's so important that we continue to strive and understand what God is trying to do and what he's trying to say. That is not a minor thing. That is monumental. Because later on, over a series of time and a series of mistranslation, the word ecclesia, which is the assembly, it appears 114 times in the New Testament. If you don't know what the New Testament is, that is Matthew through Revelation. There's 66 total books in what we call the Bible. 39 of them we consider what we say are the Old Testament. Beginning at Matthew, which is a little more than halfway, the remaining 27 are the New Testament books. Those are the books that deal with beginning with the birth of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, resurrection, up through the church, the spread of the gospel around the world, finishing with the book of Revelation that talks about the end of the world and what is to come. This is what makes up what we call the New Testament. In those 27 chapter, uh, 27 books, we see the word ecclesia mentioned 114 times. And it's usually translated an assembly or gathering uh, in those terms. But in this situation is translated to the word church. Why? Well, there's several reasons for that. And in order to understand it, we got to go to a historical viewpoint for just a moment, not to bore you, but this is important. History shows us that when the church began, the church was a grassroots movement. When, the, when, 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 when Jesus was resurrected and he assembled a group together and he told them to go to Jerusalem and he, he, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus began to spread. And that group began to touch all the corners of the world. And in that powerful movement, we saw, we saw some of the most incredible things happen. And we read them on the pages of scripture. We even see the fact that the message of Jesus Christ reached all the way to Rome, the most powerful city on the planet at the time, and one of the most powerful empires to ever be assembled on in, in the history of mankind. We see the gospel reach all the way to Rome and even into, as Paul makes mention in one of his letters, to the house of Caesar or those in Caesar's house, which implies that there were people that were in the house of Caesar, more than just slaves, either family members, some even speculate it could have been his wife, that were believers and followers of Jesus Christ. When you think about the magnitude of that, it's very hard to come up with a modern comparison to the magnitude of what that was like, what that was meant to be like, because in that world, there was such a, a mentality, they were pagans, and the mentality of pagans, it's very hard to come up with a modern day comparison to that in our world today. And to see the gospel spread all the way to that, to the pinnacle of that is amazing. But sometime around 100 AD, we see this blazing inferno of the power of God begin to slowly drift away. We see it 
throughout the, the second century, there's still some things happening. But by the third century, there's some, it's starting to wane a little bit. There's a heavy amount of persecution against the church. Um, it's, 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 it's just back and forth. And finally, there becomes a pivotal moment in all of history, especially in religious history. And that was the Emperor Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome at the time, declared that Christianity would become the, the, the state religion of Rome. Again, sometimes you hear this, and you're like, what does this have to do with me and my problems today? I'm getting there. And through these series of events, after the death of the last apostle, which would have been John, John, who was the writer of the Gospel of John, who wrote three letters we find in the Bible, also was the writer of Revelation. John was the one that Jesus went to and found him and his brother on a fishing boat with their dad and called them, called them out and asked them to follow him. So John was the last of the original OGs, the original 12 that followed Jesus Christ. And so we find that at the end of John's death, things are starting to deteriorate. We even find that even before John's death, they're starting to go a little sideways because John's gospel is different than the first, the other three gospels. I'm getting a little more technical than I want, but it's important. So follow with me for a moment. John's gospel talks about revelation and depth of revelation that we don't find in any other places. So after this, and then just sort of waning and deterioration of this inferno as it starts to kind of lose its momentum. And when Rome takes over, there is a monumental shift in who the church is and what the church is and how it interacts with the world and its mission and its purpose. Because in the beginning, we see this absolutely earth-shaking, world-changing movement. And by the time we get to the 4th and 5th century, it's become institutionalized. It's become rhetoric. It's become managed. It's become over... Uh, 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 um, uh, um, it's lost its organic nature, if I want to come to uh, say it that way. It's become systematic. But more, more damaging, it's become political because Rome's involved. And now they're mixing paganism with the message of Jesus Christ. And as this takes place, there's this pull away from this inferno, this grassroots movement of, 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 of the ecclesia, of the assembling, of the called out ones, the ones that when you ask who is Jesus to you, they got an answer. It's not something they read in the book. It's not something that they've heard about. When you ask those people who is Jesus, it's a personal thing. They've got a personal testimony. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's the group that is referring to the ecclesia, the testimony speaking followers of Jesus Christ. That group begins to get to lose its, lose its, lose its way. And by the time we get to this moment of history, the church become sabotaged in a lot of ways. It loses its message. And more importantly, it loses its power and its fire. And then we see a shift away from the ecclesia to the institution that we now refer to as church. If you want to say it one way, I'll say it this way. We moved away from relationship to religion. What do I mean by that? 
we moved away, and I don't mean this towards anybody, and I'm, I, I know I'm a little controversial this morning, and some may get offended by this statement, but I don't mean it to be offensive. We moved away from the message of Jesus to the theory of Jesus. We moved away from experiencing Jesus to talking about Jesus. We, we moved away from, from, from feeling his presence manifested to putting in our moment of time to satisfy our religious conscience. And so we find that began to be more and more ingrained in our thinking, more and more ingrained in, in how we approached what we say today is the church. So finally, we find that as that began to change, the terminology used to describe the ecclesia was no longer an assembly or a gathering of the called out ones, the who did Jesus say that I am group. The ecclesia began to be substituted for the church building, the clergy and the, the, the pomp and the circumstance and all the religious things that go along with that and in warm damaging the facility or the location where the group met. No longer was the identity of the group. The identity became in the brick and mortar of where the group met. So now we say things like, there's the church. We're not talking about a group of people. We're talking about a physical location. Oh, there's a church. Where do you go to church? Where, where do you go to church? I go to this church. I go there. Again, I'm not blaming anybody if that's saying you're wrong. You should stop. I'm just giving you the truth behind these statements. So now when we get to this translation here, you say, upon this rock, I will build my church. We automatically translate that in our brain to what we think today as the modern church to be. But that's not what that was saying. When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives this, this uh, description. And I, I, have a, I have, my personal belief is there's others that gave an answer. We just didn't get it. Because of what Jesus says after him. I'm not sure if Peter was the first one. There's, those other guys had to have said something. I don't believe they all just sat there quietly. But Jesus said to them, because later on in that verse, he noticed this. He says, he commanded his disciples to tell no one. He recognized that all of them were there. He didn't just say to Peter, don't tell anybody. He told them all. But Peter was the one that said, I believe you're the Christ, the son of living God. He was the one that declared the revelation. But Jesus said to them, don't tell anybody what this is. Wait a minute. That means they all had to have the same revelation of Peter. How did Jesus know that? Well, he could have... He could have seen their heart, which he probably he, he did. But I believe also they had spoken similar revelations to Peter, but again from their story. And he says to this group, upon this rock, I will build my assembly, my gathering, my called out ones. And the gates of hell should not prevail against us. As I sit here today, Ju July 16th, 2023, I cannot say with conviction. I cannot say with, with certainty. I cannot say with faith and fire that the gates of hell are not prevailing against the church. They are prevailing against the church. And can I be honest with you? In some ways, they're winning against the church. Because the devil's greatest tactic is not to come, out of, come at you with a pitchfork and a red suit, red tights, and a red tail, and red horns, and go, ha ha, I'm Satan. You'd go, don't want anything to do with you, buddy. His greatest tactic is, 
his subtle nature, his, his subtle tactics. He, he lurks in the darkness. He, he works in subtleties. He works in just sowing seeds that don't seem like they're that far off. His greatest lie is one with the most truth. The devil doesn't tell you a lie that doesn't have truth in it. He tells you a lie that has enough truth that it sounds like truth, but it's still a lie. And so the devil has done a masterful job at hiding who we are and whose we are. Because I'm sorry, and forgive me for a moment, this is where I hope this transference of faith comes, that you feel my passion, because I don't believe it's my passion, I believe it's the passion God's put in me this morning, that somehow somebody today is going to get a hold of it. When you look at us today, we were never meant to be the tail, we were meant to be the head. We were never meant to be victims, we were meant to be victors. We were meant to be overcomers. That's not rhetoric, that's not something off a page. We weren't meant to to walk around with our head held low going well we you know we, we just we got to go and do this and we can't do this and we got to go to church and we got to do this and we can't go there and we just no no there should be something in us to go listen you don't realize the privilege and the excitement of what I get to be a part of I'll never forget during covid we started watching the bible series on uh, the History Channel. It's a kind of a documentary that they do about the Bible and they tell the stories of the Bible. And, and so we sat and watched it with our kids because we used it sort of as a sort of interactive Bible study. We'd watch it episode and then we'd talk about it and, and they would answer questions. And so we were doing that with the Bible series. And so we were watching, I believe it's the second episode that was, that was talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and these, these major figures of the Bible that when you, when you say their name, a lot of people, even people that really don't know much about the Bible, have at least heard of these men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are monumental people. And I remember at one particular part where God is speaking to Abraham and he's sharing and talking to Abraham and, and I'm listening to Abraham talk to God and, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them describe this moment in, in scripture and this moment in, in the history of Israel and Abraham and God. And it just hit me for a moment. I'm sorry. I know I'm late to the party, but it hit me. I went, wait a minute. The same God Who's talking to Abraham? The same God who talked to Isaac. The same God who talked to Jacob. The same God who spoke a promise to Noah and told him to build an ark. The same God who talked to Moses and led Israel out of, the Saint, uh, out of Egypt across the Red Sea, defeated Pharaoh and his army, led them to the promised land. The same guy who led Joshua to defeat the, uh, uh, um, the city of Jericho. The same God who spoke to David. The same God that spoke to Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of these major figures of the Old Testament. The same God. I have the privilege and the honor to have communication with that same God. But man, then it hit me. It just like, boom, my head exploded. Wait a minute. That same God that they spoke to, I don't even have to speak to him. His spirit is in me. I have his spirit in me. Stop for a minute this morning. I'm sorry, forgive me. I know I should be calmer, but somebody stop and realize something for a moment. Do you realize 
who's inside of you? Do you realize who's living in you? Do you realize who we have in us? We're not serving some deity that's in a temple somewhere that's carved out of a rock or a stone. We're not paying homage to some statue. We have the spirit of almighty God in us. We have the spirit of the one who said, let there be light. The one who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Joshua, all of these amazing men and women of the Old Testament. He lives in you and he lives in me. When I received his spirit, when he came into my heart, filled me with his spirit, I had access to something they don't even have access to. So I'm sorry. I'm not going to walk around as if I've got to do. I'm a pun. Forgive me. Never again. I don't ever. No. Is life easy? No. Do I have problems? Yes. Do I go through things? 100%. Do I have days where I, I have to fight doubt and fear and depression? Absolutely. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You see, that's the thing. What, what are you realizing this morning? What has the devil convinced you of? Well, you got to go to church and you got to pay your time and you can't do this and you can't go there. And it's just, and you're like, uh, I just want to make it to heaven because it's so hard and get, no, my goodness. I know the Bible says a righteous man is scarcely saved. I know it. I, I get all that, but no offense. I'm not trying to just make it to heaven any longer. I just like fall over the finish line as some defeated person where I just like, oh, I just, I made it. No, I want to walk with my head held high. When I cross that, that, those pearly gates, I'm not walking in there defeated. I'm walking in there because his grace has carried he. His mercy is everlasting. His spirit has empowered me. His blood has washed and saved me. His faith has lifted me up on eagle's wings. I have, I have gone through things, yes, but I've kept going. When I get there, I'm not getting there falling over the finish line as if I've somehow just collapsed into the arms of God because life was so hard and so difficult and I made it. No, honey. I have something in me. You have something in you that empowers us. No, is it by us? No, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. No, it's not because of me. It's not Joel. I don't have the ability. It's him. It's him. It's Jesus. 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 My goodness, I'm about to get up off this chair and run around in my basement for a moment. Somebody, wherever you are, you need to lift up your hands for a moment. Some of you need to repent because you've realized, wait a minute, I've been, I've been living way beneath where I need to be living. My faith, my doubt, all the stuff. God, forgive me for not realizing who you are and who I am in you. And God, today, release in me a fresh baptism of faith. Come on, somebody. Get your head up. Shake off the dust. Shake off the doubt. Shake off the fear and realize who you belong to. Who is your God? You're not serving some just random God. You're not serving some far off deity. You're not serving a God. You got to go to a specific place at a specific time and say specific words. No, you are walking with a God in you and through you. That is the creator of all things and everything. And by him, that's who you and I have. 
I mean, I don't know what else to say to get some of you fired up. If, I, if that hasn't got you fired up yet, i got to check your pulse. We may need to get something out of here and go, wait, are you even breathing? Because when you can't just stop for a moment and let the devil stop lying to you, stop looking at your problems and your difficulty, and oh, God, so many things are going wrong. Oh, so many things are just difficult, and oh, it's so hard, and living for God. No, that's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. I don't remember the last time I was this fired up on a Sunday morning. Forgive me, online. I know. Boy, if you just jumped on, you probably think this guy's lost his mind. I have lost my mind. But Jesus found it. Praise God. Somebody needs to realize, get your head up. Get your head up. Put your shoulders back. Realize I am a child of God. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the ecclesia, the assembly. When we come and gather together, we're not gathering together as a bunch of people that are just going to come and hold hands and kumbaya so we can make it through another week of this terrible world that's going down every day. No, we come together. And when we come together, we have power and authority because greater is he that is in us and through us. We have access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. We have access to all of that. We've got we've to realize who we are. Stop, stop selling ourselves short. Stop selling God short. No, does that mean everything? You can speak a word and you can turn your jalopy into a Mercedes, your shack into a mansion. No, it's not name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. You can't use, lose with the stuff I use. No, I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about the fact is today you and I, we've got difficulty. We have things going on in our life we wish somehow would change. You might be going through a trial, the worst trial of your life, but get your head up. It's not over. It's not over. Stop acting like you're defeated. Stop acting like there's no hope. Realize you've got something in you that not everybody else has. You've got the Spirit of God that can overcome everything and anything and all things. Get your faith engaged. Put away the pity party. Someone said the worst thing about a pity party is no one comes and they don't give you presents and there's no cake. Stop throwing a pity party for yourself. How bad you got it. And realize you've got the blood of Jesus. You've got the spirit of God working in you and you've got the name. What else do you need? Somebody today in Jesus name, get the revelation. Who is Jesus to you? We are the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. That's who we are. We need to go to small group today and with our head held high and go, you know what? We're gathering together. It's good to see you. But you realize, guys, we're here today. We're a part of something that's so incredible, so amazing, so life-changing, so earth-shaking that even the mention of it makes hell shake. Even the mention of the church, even the mention of the gathering of God's people that are called by his name sends shockwaves through hell. Satan even is petrified of the name and we've got it. So why are we acting like we don't? Something's wrong with this picture. We should act like we've got the greatest thing going. I've often said it. We have our, our, the way we approach things proves we don't believe it. Our attitude is, you know, don't, don't, don't follow Jesus because it's going to be too hard and difficult and your life's going to be so overwhelmed. It's too late for me. I've already committed. And I, if I don't follow through, I'm going to hell. But save yourself. That's the attitude we have. But no, it should be, do you realize the greatest opportunity 
and the greatest experience you can have on this earth is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you can talk to him and he can talk back to you. When you're at your lowest moments, you can just say his name, Jesus, and instantaneously his power, his love, his presence, his, his, his spirit just lifts you up. This is the greatest thing. that we, we, We're living in the greatest opportunity. Abraham would have killed to be in our shoes. Moses, these guys that we think that are so amazing, they would trade places with you and I right now to have access to what we have access to. Somehow, someway, folks, we've got to get our heads up. We've got to realize who we are and whose we are. But it's not coming because we just get all emotionally excited, start high-fiving one another. Jesus said it. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed to you. This has come from the Father. I'm speaking today in Jesus' name. The spirit of revelation would be upon us today. I bind every spirit of religion. I bind every lie, every tactic of the adversary that has stolen our identity, has diminished our power, and diminished who we are. And I speak today in Jesus' name that our eyes would be open, that we can see who we are in you, Jesus. That we can see who we are because we have your spirit. We are bought by your name. I speak it right now in Jesus' name that faith would rise in the hearts of your people in Jesus' name today. That's why we are to be the ecclesia. We're not to go to church. We're to be the ecclesia. And when we're the ecclesia, we're the gathering of people that know who Jesus is. And when that's the case, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us because we know who he is. We know who we are and we know who we are in him, in Jesus' name.